Chapter 3, Part 4 of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women by Elizabeth Blackwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3, Part 4 Study in America, 1847 to 1849. Extracts from the Journal, December 22nd. The deepest snow I have seen for years. It was as much as I could do to walk to college, but all was pleasant. The class seemed so very friendly. One set me a chair. Another spoke so pleasantly, and I had several little friendly chats. How little they know my sensitiveness to these trifling tokens. The unusual weather an alarm of fire, Dr. Webster's arrival, were so many points for sociability. December 31st, the New Year's Eve. Alone as usual, I spend the day. At night, as I watched the last moments of the year slowly depart, a deep solemnity came over me, a hopeless sorrow for poor humanity. I seemed to hear the heavy, resounding bell of time tolling mournfully the dying year, whilst angels with covered faces and forms that bent with sorrow waited to receive the finishing scroll of the world's existence, that the fearful record guarded in darkness and silence might at last be unrolled in the terrible light of eternity. January 1st. Stayed quietly in my room whilst the merry sleigh bells and gay voices rang without. The 11th. I called to see the pretty blind girl operated on this morning. She was all alone in the hotel, her friends far away. Poor child. She has no protector, within or without. She asked me who the student was that brought her home, when college would be out, etc. Her simple heart and idle fancy are soon caught. Such are the women I long to surround with my stronger arm. Alas, how almost hopeless does the task seem, but God is omnipotent. January 19th Dear M., I sit down to try and quiet myself by writing to you for this morning. I, as first on the list of candidates, passed through the usual examinations, presented my certificates, received the testimony of satisfaction from the faculty, whose recommendation will procure me the diploma next Tuesday. Now, though the examinations were not very formidable, still the anxiety and effort were as great as if everything were at stake. And when I came from the room and joined the other candidates who were anxiously awaiting their turn, my face burned, my whole being was excited, but a great load was lifted from my mind. The students received me with applause. They all seemed to like me, 
and I believe I shall receive my degree with their united approval. A generous and chivalric feeling have conquered any little feelings of jealousy. I often feel when I am with them how beautiful the relations of man and women might be under a truer development of character, in nobler circumstances. I do not know the moral character of any one of our students, for I have no genius for hunting up the darker parts of a person's soul. But I know that Geneva is a very immoral place, the lower classes of women being often worthless, the higher ones fastidious and exclusive, so that there is no healthy blending of the sexes. But notwithstanding the bad associations in which they may have been brought up, I have never had any difficulty in giving the right tone to our intercourse. I am more convinced than ever that Fourier is right in placing this matter in the hands of women, and my hope rises when I find that the inner heart of the human being may still remain pure notwithstanding some corruption of the outer coverings. I don't know if I've ever told you how deep this matter of licentiousness has gradually sunk into my soul, and that the determination to wage a war of extermination with it strengthens continually, and the hope of gaining power and experience to do it worthily is one of my strongest supports in action. So help me, God, I will not be blind, indifferent, or stupid in relation to this matter, as are most women. I feel specially called to act in this reform when I have gained wisdom for the task. The world can never be redeemed till this central relation of life is placed on a truer footing. But I meant to talk to you about the cholera. Our physicians confessedly cannot cure it. The professor who lectured upon it yesterday commenced, Gentlemen, I wish I could tell you how to cure the cholera but under all modes of treatment the mortality seems to be the same. However, I will tell you something of the disease and what I would do if called to a case. The cordial relations with professor and students continued. Throughout the examination time, the most friendly interest was felt in my success by my fellow students. One of my brothers came on to Geneva to attend my graduation. Being personally a stranger to the students, he was much amused by the free indications of friendly comradeship which he overheard. The ceremony of conferring the full and equal diploma of doctor of medicine upon a woman excited much interest in the neighborhood. It was held in the large Presbyterian church, which, with its ample galleries, was crowded in every part with spectators. The other students walked in procession from the college to the church, but I went up with my brother and took my seat in the side aisle. 
Extracts from the Journal of 1849 January 22nd Our examinations came off successfully. Hurrah! Tis almost over. Tuesday, January 23rd, 1849 The day, the grand day, is nearly finished. And now, whilst visitors are dropping in, I must record my first entrance into public life. Twas bright and beautiful and very gratifying. Great curiosity was felt. As I entered and sat in the church, I gave one thought to friends, and then thought only of the Holy One. After the degree had been conferred on the others, I was called up alone to the platform. The president, in full academical costume, rose as I came on the stage, and going through the usual formula of a short Latin address, presented me my diploma. I said, Sir, I thank you. It shall be the effort of my life with the help of the Most High to shed honor on my diploma. The audience applauded, but their presence was little to me. I was filled with a sense of the grandeur of a holy life, with high resolves for the future. As I came down, George Field opened the door of the front row, and I was much touched by the graduates making room for me and insisting that I should sit with them for the remainder of the exercises. Most gladly I obeyed the friendly invitation, feeling more thoroughly at home in the midst of these true-hearted young men than anywhere else in the town. I heard little of what was said. My whole soul was absorbed in heavenly communion. I felt the angels around me. Dr. Lee gave the valedictory address. He surprised me by the strong and beautiful way in which he alluded to the event. I felt encouraged, strengthened, to be greatly good. As I stood at the door, the faculty all most kindly wished me goodbye, and Dr. Hale and Bishop DeLancey shook hands and congratulated me. All the ladies collected in the entry and let me pass between their ranks, and several spoke to me most kindly. For the next few hours before I left by train, my room was thronged by visitors. I was glad of the sudden conversion thus shown, but my past experience had given me a useful and permanent lesson at the outset of life as to the very shallow nature of popularity. The following letter, written by a younger brother who came to be with me on this important occasion, gives some interesting as well as amusing details of the event. Geneva, January 23, 1849 Beloved Relations The important crisis is past, the great occasion over, the object of so much and so justifiable anticipation has been attained. 
and proud as I always feel of the Blackwells, my familism never seemed to me so reasonable and so perfectly a matter of course as it did this morning, when having escorted E into the crowded church and taken my seat beside her, we learned from the music that the graduating class, headed by the dean, trustees, faculty, etc., were marching in solemn conclave into the aisle. I found E well and in good spirits, as you may suppose. Monday morning E and I went to the college, where she underwent a second examination, as did also the other members of the graduating class, from the curators of the university, no others but themselves, the class, and the faculty being admitted. From this, as from the former one, our sis came off with flying colors and the reputation of being altogether the leader of the class. In the afternoon they were successively called upon to read from their thesis, and to this I was admitted. But Elizabeth's being in Buffalo to be printed, she could not be called upon. The professor and students all seemed to feel most kindly and warmly friendly. While I sat by the stove on Monday morning at the college whilst the graduating class were undergoing their examination below, the other students, scarcely any of them being acquainted with my personality, conversed freely about matters and things, and of course about Elizabeth. Well, boys, one would say, our Elib feels first-rate this morning. Do you notice how pleased she looks? Yes, indeed, replied another, and I think she well may after the examination she passed yesterday. So Lizzie will get her diploma after all, said a third. If any member of the class gets one, she is sure of it, said a fourth. Then all agreed that our Elib was a great girl, and in short I found that she was a universal favorite with both professors and students. Nothing could be more cordial than the former are, and several are very gentlemanly and intelligent men indeed, and I formed some pleasant acquaintances among them. On the morning of the commencement, little Dr. Webster was in his glory. He is a warm supporter of Elizabeth and likes a fuss, and nothing could exceed his delight when he found that the whole country round was sending in large numbers of people and that all the ladies of Geneva were turning out en masse to see a lady receive a medical diploma. At ten o'clock a.m., the students met at the college and marched in procession with music to the literary college, where they were headed by the Bishop of New York, Dr. Hale, the dean, and the curators, the faculty, etc., Dr. Webster was very anxious that E should march in procession, and sent down two messages to that effect, but E very properly refused. About half-past ten o'clock, 
Elizabeth and I walked up to the church. She was very nicely dressed in her black brocaded silk gown, invisibly green gloves, black silk stockings, etc. As we ascended the college steps, Dr. Webster met Eliz and again urged the request, whereupon she told him peremptorily that it wouldn't be ladylike. Wouldn't it indeed? Why, no, I forgot. I suppose it wouldn't, said the little doctor, evidently struck for the first time with the idea. So it was arranged that Eliz and I should sit down at the entrance of the left aisle and join the procession as it came up, and we then walked in and sat down. We found the church, galleries, and all crowded with ladies, they only having been as yet admitted, and of course when we came in there was a general stir and murmur and everybody turned to look at us. By the time the procession came up, all the pews, except those reserved for students, were filled, and the gentlemen had to pour in afterwards and take the aisles, etc. When the procession entered, Mr. Field, a very pleasant, gentlemanly fellow graduate, offered his arm, and all the class took their seats together in front of the stage. After a short discourse by Dr. Hale, the president, the diplomas were conferred, four being called up at a time, and ascending the steps to the platform, the president addressed them in a Latin formula, taking off his hat, but remaining seated, and so handed them their diplomas, which they received with a bow and retired. Elizabeth was left to the last and called up alone. The president, taking off his hat, rose, and addressing her in the same formula, substituting domina for domine, presented her the diploma, whereupon our sis, who had walked up and stood before him with much dignity, bowed, and half turned to retire, but suddenly turning back replied, Sir, I thank you. By the help of the Most High, it shall be the effort of my life to shed honor upon your diploma. Whereupon she bowed, and the president bowed. The audience gave manifestations of applause, Little Dr. Webster rubbed his hands. The learned curators and faculty nodded grave approbation at each other upon the platform, and our sis, descending the steps, took her seat with her fellow physicians in front. Now walks up into the pulpit Professor Lee, with a large manuscript and a solemn air, and commences his address to the graduates. It was on the whole good. He gave it pretty strong to homeopathists, hydropathists, mesmerists, Thomsonians, etc., and gave the ladies of the audience quite a lecture for their encouragement and circulation of quack medicines, 
informing them that they had better study a little the principles of medicine before attempting to practice what they were so profoundly ignorant about. At the close he alluded to the novel proceeding which they had taken, and the censure or imitation which it would necessarily create. He justified the proceeding, and passed a most gratifying and enthusiastic encomium on the result of the experiment in the case of Eliz. He pronounced her the leader of her class, stated that she had passed through a thorough course in every department, slighting none, that she had profited to the very utmost by all the advantages of the institution, and by her ladylike and dignified deportment had proved that the strongest intellect and nerve and the most untiring perseverance were compatible with the softest attributes of feminine delicacy and grace, etc., to all which the students manifest by decided attempts at applause their entire concurrence. As the audience passed out, the bishop came up with Dr. Hale, requested an introduction, and spoke very pleasantly, congratulating her on her course, to the great astonishment of the conservatives. As we walked out of the church, we found that almost all the ladies had stopped outside, and as we appeared, opened their ranks and let us pass, regarding E with very friendly countenances. Most of E's time was taken up till our departure next day at half-past one o'clock in receiving calls from her few friends. The admission of a woman, for the first time, to a complete medical education and full equality in the privileges and the responsibilities of the profession produced a widespread effect in America. The public press very generally recorded the event and expressed a favorable opinion of it. Even in Europe some notice of it was taken, and Punch showed his cordial appreciation by his amusing but friendly verses. I knew, however, that a first step only had been taken. Although popular sanction had been gained for the innovation, and a full recognized status secured, yet much more medical experience than I possessed was needed before the serious responsibilities of practice could be justly met. Returning, therefore, to Philadelphia, I endeavored still to continue my studies. I was politely received by the heads of the profession in Philadelphia as a professional sister, and made the following notes in a journal of that date. March 6th. A morning of great gratification. Welcomed cordially to the university, and afterwards heard Drs. Jackson, Hodges, Gibson, Chapman, and Horner lecture. Doctors Lee and Ford were with me, the former quite in spirits at my reception. March 10th. Heard Dr. Williamson lecture and received his ticket. Visited the Pennsylvania Hospital, Dr. Levitch showing me over it. 
admired the gallery with its alcoves and its excellent ventilation. I heard Professor Agassiz last night. He has just commenced a course of lectures on the animal world. His manner was simple and earnest, and the principle he laid down will render his course of lectures very interesting if he develop them fully. I am also rubbing up my French, which may be very important to me. The following letter is characteristic of that period of life. February 25th. My dear mother, you sent me a dear, good, welcome letter, and I kiss you heartily for all its affection and sympathy in my eccentric course. I did not miss out, either, any of the pious parts, but I do think, mother mine, that it is a little hard that you will not believe me when I tell you so seriously that my soul is doing first-rate. You urge upon me the importance of religion. Why, bless the dear mother, what am I doing else but living religion all the time? Isn't it my meat and my drink to do the good will of God? Didn't I used to sit in the lecture room and send up a whole cannonade of little prayers? And didn't a whole flood of answers come straight down from the throne of grace? And what am I doing now? Do you think I care about medicine? Nay, verily, it's just to kill the devil whom I hate so heartily. That's the fact, mother. And if that isn't forming Christ in one, the hope of glory, why, I don't know what is. So pray comfort yourself, and have faith that such a child of many prayers will be fixed up all straight at last. I live in a good society, the fellowship of hard workers, for however little the result of my actions may be, I have the strengthening conviction that my aim is right, and that I, too, am working after my little fashion for the redemption of mankind. I agree with you fully in distrusting the harbinger, and should certainly banish it from my center table if I had risen to the dignity of possessing one. I dislike their discussions and their way of discussing some subjects. I think them calculated to do a great deal of mischief, and am only consoled by the reflection that few people read them. I go in whole-souledly for the divine marriage institution, and shall always support it by precept, and as soon as I get the chance by example too, and all those who would upset it I consider fools and infidels. I think associationists too often a very poor set of people, and if they would commence by reforming themselves and let the Almighty take care of the world, I think they would be much better employed. As to the infidel French philosophy you talk of, it is just twaddle, which I should instantly reject if anybody were to stuff it into me. I am now longing to be at work abroad, where I might spend my time much more profitably. 
but I do want greatly to see you all again. How long it is since I was at home. More than five years, I think. I cannot consent to become a stranger to the Geschwistern, and W and E and E seem almost unknown. Goodbye, dear mother. I shall see you soon, and then you will be able to read me sermons to your heart's content. Your M.D. I felt, however, keenly the need of much wider opportunities for study than were open to women in America. Whilst considering this problem, I received an invitation from one of my cousins, then visiting America, to return with him to England and endeavor to spend some time in European study before engaging in practice in America. This valuable offer was joyfully accepted, and I prepared for a journey to Europe, first of all paying a short farewell visit to my family in Cincinnati. Extracts from the Journal April 5th How kind and good and glad to see me they all were. I walked out with S and met them all. G had grown quite out of my knowledge. I am very glad to have spent this fortnight at home. We had general and private talks without end. April 7th. They all came down to see me off. They stood on the adjoining boat as we sailed away up the river, mother leaning on S, the three sisters on one side, H and G on the other, all hearts in sympathy. I could not keep down the tears as I caught the last glimpse of those dear true ones. Traveling east, I joined my cousin in Boston, whence we sailed for Liverpool. Excerpts from the Journal April 18th Dear Mr. Channing was with me till I left. His medical uncle, Dr. Channing, also came to see me. I never met my old friend more fully. He regretted deeply this flying visit, which disappointed him in the talks he had planned. Beautiful Boston Bay vanished in the distance. America, that land of memories, was left far behind. I took to my berth and lay there in misery five days and nights. How I loathe the ship. End of chapter three.